This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach, and I'm the author of Find Your Happy at Work. It's a book about getting unstuck and creating some joy and excitement in your career. Today, we'll talk about how some companies are finding great ways to help recent college grads to develop both digital skills and peer relationships things that can help their careers really take off. Our guest is Lucisha Paul. She's the U.S. Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Group M. That's a big global advertising and media company. She's built a strong career there and in her field, and she understands that it's not always easy for young people to work their way in and work their way up. Lucasia will share insights from her own career journey, and she'll Tell us about a program at Co-op Careers that's giving practical career support to underemployed, first-generation, and diverse graduates. And she'll share tips that might help you create a stronger career, like connecting with supportive friends. Lakeisha, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Bev. We uh, are going to talk about all kinds of things related to your job as uh, head of U.S. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion at Group M. But before we get into the job you're doing now and all the projects you're involved in, at Just About Work, we always like to find out about our guest career story. And, and your career path is kind of relevant to what you're doing these days. So could you uh, tell us about your path? And one thing I particularly noticed is that you have both an advertising degree and a master's of divinity, which is an unusual combination. So I want to hear about that. So how did you get here? Yeah, that's a great question, Bev. And actually, not many people pick up on that to ask me. So thank you. Um, So let's see. Since I was 12 years old, I knew I wanted to work in advertising. I used to watch this sitcom called Who's the Boss? I'm not sure if you're familiar Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. The, the main character, Angela, she intrigued me with her go-getter attitude and, of course, the amenities she was able to afford. So when I attended Howard University, I knew exactly what I wanted to major in. That led to my professional life in advertising straight out of college. A recruiter from Saatchi and Saatchi interviewed me there and then hired me once I graduated. So I was very fortunate in that matter. The Master of Divinity, that came long after and is more aligned with my personal interests. You know, everyone has passions they pursue outside of work. Well, that was one of mine. Um, God is a major part of my life, and having the opportunity to study God was amazing. The interesting thing is a lot of what I learned um, while going to theology school helps me today as head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I have a greater appreciation from people of all walks of life. But additionally, most of my electives that were done were in pastoral care and counseling, which helps me in the majority of the confidential conversations I have every single day with individuals. 
So that's how I got both of those um, degrees and how actually both of those come in handy in my professional life as well. You know, I find as a coach, which is what I do when I'm not writing or talking on podcasts, I find as a coach, everything seems to come together to work together in a person's career. And it doesn't matter what you're studying. Uh, it all kind of gets intertwined. And if anybody's really stuck, I always say, learn something new. It always fits in. So I, I'm glad that to, to have another example. Well, you started at the top, it sounds like, if you went to Sachi and Sachi, and, and now you're really at the top because it, it, it looks like, um, and I'm not familiar with Group M except for you know, looking online, but it looks like they're a huge global company and, and they do advertising and media strategies for some very big brands like, um, like Google, right? And so tell us about what kind of things Group M does for these huge companies? Sure. So our main goal at Group M is to make advertising better for people. We provide our clients, such as Google, with best practices and guidance. We identify products, media opportunities, and partnerships that can optimize their investment. So Group M is a holding company. And through our agencies, Mindshare, Mediacom, Wavemaker, Essence, M6, as well as some of the smaller companies, we work to innovate and generate value for our clients' business. We offer a wide range of services, ensuring that their messages, which is media, are impactful, responsible, and delivered to the right audience at the right time. You know, smart and intentional work results in happy clients. And I can attest to that as I've had my fair share along the 17 years that I've been with the company. Well, it, it sounds like you've, you're really familiar with the, um, the content of what uh, Group M does. You, you understand the biz and you, uh, you've, had, you've done a few different things in it. But today, you're doing something different. So, so tell us um, what your life is like. What, what do you do every day as head of DEI? Yeah. So as head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Group M, there are several things that I cover on a day-to-day -day basis, one of which most important is our employees, making sure that they feel like they belong, like they're included at our organization, that we're a place where they can show up as their authentic selves. And that consists of a number of different things. One is, um, you know, our industry as well as every single person has biases, but was really developed on a lot of biases that have created systemic barriers over the years, whether it's for women, people of color, the LGBTQIA plus community, um, people with different abilities, so forth and so on. And so I'll do things such as have our company go through unconscious and conscious bias workshops that are required for all of our employees to help us learn more, be a bit more cultural competent and allow us to lead with empathy. From a diversity perspective, making sure that we're, while we sit at the table um, or our teams, we're looking around to see who isn't there or who isn't showing up as their best selves. Being considerate of the introverts who are often the quiet ones 
um, versus the extroverts, which seem to be taken as those that are more, um, you know, inspired by work because you hear them vocally more. But some people take time to receive and learn information. And then the equity components are really ensuring that opportunities are shared on a fair basis, that there are salaries, promotions, opportunities given to everyone. You know, one thing that I believe in is everyone has a chance to succeed once given an opportunity. So that's really what my day consists of, those particular big umbrellas. In addition to, as I mentioned earlier, there may be individuals who would like to speak to me about different um, aggressions that they may be going through and to get, um, you know, ways in which how can they can overcome those particular things, resources to lead them through um, from those aggressions to mental health components. So it's a lot that I do. We are also an incubator for ideas and, and in initiatives to follow through on, but it's good work. It's good work. So no matter how busy it gets, it's intentional and I'm all for it. It sounds like uh, it's, it's really meaningful work. And I, at, at the beginning, you mentioned that you're in a, an industry which, well, like most of our industries, has, has a pretty uh, difficult background for anybody who's not sort of a, um, an, a coastal uh, white guy. I, I kind of remember the industry from years ago when I, as a lawyer, had a corporate job and, and I bumped into it. And, and my sense was that it partly wasn't active discrimination. It was just the culture was so narrow that just as a, as a woman in, in that kind of world as with lawyers and advertising and all kinds of fields, it wasn't easy to be your authentic self. At least as young lawyers, women like me, we wasted a lot of time trying to be like those men. And um, I never was able to take up golf because I was incompetent. But I remember women trying to learn golf because they thought that was the secret or going out and drinking with the boys. That kind of inclusion wasn't a concept that was born yet. But but that's part of what you're talking about with authentic Self, isn't it that everybody has to have enough space to be who they are and not feel like they have to act like the people at the top? Is that right? That's absolutely right. But like you, Bev, it's difficult for some people when they first get into those positions. Um, you know, I myself, Bev, felt like coming into the industry at a young age as a first gen um, graduate and coming into corporate America without knowing anyone else in corporate America. I felt like I had to conform in order to fit into what that mold currently, you know, at the time was. And I realized that it wasn't until I got to more senior levels where I had authority over who I got to hire on my teams, where I was given um, the opportunity to speak on policies and procedures or programs that we will implement in our company, did I actually feel like I can become more and more of myself? And so, you know, this is where I believe it's critical. If you can gain that perspective coming in to show up as your authentic self from day one, 
then you have an opportunity to go through your career path feeling more free, more free in terms of who you are and how you contribute to the work that you're doing. That's my goal as head of DEI, to allow individuals to have that freedom. And that freedom makes people more open, innovative, creative to do and contribute to the work that they have to get done. Think of it this way also. We spend more of our time at work and with the people at work than we do at home. And so you want to make that a place where you feel welcomed and like you can be yourself. I think as people are, in many cases, returning to the office, at least part-time, there's a a new and healthy look going on at the culture. And there really feels to be a bigger effort than I've ever seen to have people come back in a better way, have um, have access, be more carefully observed and created. And uh, so maybe, maybe we're at the beginning of a new phase, but it's particularly tough, as you said, for first-generation college students, people from any kind of diverse or different background, people who don't know the corporate world. It's, it's, it's difficult for those recent grads to kind of make their way into the system and make their way up. So I was really fascinated to, to read about the work that uh, Group M is doing in partnership with the co-op career program. It feels like that's right on target for helping underemployed college grads kind of get into the system. Will you tell us about that program? Yes. And thank you so much for bringing that up. We absolutely love the partnership that we have with co-op. And, um, you know, it's really because it aligns a lot with our mission as well. So their mission is to support underrepresented college grads overcome underemployment. You know, 50% of college grads ages 21 to 27 are unemployed or underemployed, including more than two thirds of black college grads. Co-op works with diverse low-income and first-generation grads from urban public schools and universities, preparing them to enter the advertising and tech industry. And what I really love about co-op is they have this unique approach that makes them stand out from others. Their curriculum is divided into three parts. There's the head, which focuses on the technical skills, the heart, which helps students develop their strengths, their personal stories, and professional network, and then hustle, which prepares them for the job market. Now, Group M helps co-op build upon their heart curriculum. We assist in suggesting topics to cover that address diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, such as how to show up as your authentic self. That's been a repeated term that we've said so far. How to network and socialize. It's different if you're not used to that. How to receive feedback and ask questions. And most important, how to handle microaggressions. This is important to me myself, as I mentioned earlier, as a first-generation grad, grad, you know, I understand the hardships of entering corporate America with no support or knowledge of how to navigate in this space. And so with co-op providing these for individual students, it's key for their success growth in this industry. And actually, to date, co-op has graduated over 2,000 students helping them get jobs across over 200 companies, including Group M, where we have happily hired 193 co-opers.
We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. microaggressions and I, I think for people who haven't been in that haven't had that kind of experience or haven't noticed it it's um, it's not always clear what that is would you talk about how uh, these young grads can enter a workplace and even though people are glad to have them and even though people think they're doing, all the right things, from the uh, standpoint of the worker, the microaggressions are there and they're exhausting. Can you give us some examples of something like that? Yeah, sure. So oftentimes, you know, microaggressions are something that are done unintentional. Uh, the people that are doing a microaggression don't necessarily know that what they're saying um, may be hurtful to the in- individual that they're saying it to or may have the impact that it's having upon that person. So there's intent versus impact. When we first started getting co-opers into our organization, I sat with a couple of them to find out what their experience at Group M was like. And one of the things they brought up was culture shock, coming into an industry that didn't look like them, that they felt uneasy being a part of, that they've had to um, figure out how to deal with things like microaggressions. And microaggressions can look different for different people. I'll give an example. Someone within the LGBTQIA community, they were told um, by someone on their team that perhaps it may be best for them and their career if they tone down their personality a bit. Well, what exactly does that mean? Uh, oftentimes, things that are told from a microaggression perspective come from a subjective place or a biased place or an ignorant place. I just don't know this particular culture, so I don't know um, how to interact with people from this culture um, and what things can look like differently for them as it does for myself. In addition, that person mentioned to me once they wore a shirt with bananas on it and um, was told that their their wardrobe was inappropriate. And, and so they were asked not to join a particular client meeting. That's one example. There are examples where women of color mention people asking if they can touch their hair or as we are virtually now and people change their hairstyles, asking about their hairstyle today and how it looks so different and making that be the majority of the meeting when it had nothing to do with the context of what the meeting was about. Um, Or we may have a situation where 
as women, sometimes we're often asked if it's a meeting in person to clear the room or, you know, can you take care of the catering and, and putting the things out? Or can you take notes for this meeting? When oftentimes those are not requests that are given to any of the men in the room. All of such are microaggressions. And a person that does not have experience with how to handle that can mishandle it. It can definitely be a situation where the impact can lead you to getting upset, obviously, because it's something that is affecting your feelings. How do you express yourself in that moment? Do you react in that moment? Do you wait until the moment has passed afterwards? And what do you say? Do you correct the person uh, or do you not say anything at all? These are often different approaches that someone from an underrepresented community has to go through on a daily basis in terms of how they can go about their day interacting with such things. One thing that I have definitely had to think about um, is times where I have may, may have been told my, um, I, I may come across a little aggressive at times. Now, I certainly do not believe that to be true, though I do take everything that's said um, into account to find out the truths of them. But, you know, we have such thing as tone policing different ethnic groups where the tone may be different or the act of passion coming across in a conversation may be different than a majority of a non-diverse group that you're used to engaging with. So we have conversations like these, real conversations, real examples, and role, and, and role play on ways in which you can go about not dealing, but how to I'm not sure if the correct term would be coping either, because it's hard to say, you know, that this is something that we just have to deal with, but it does happen. How, how to um, respond to in a positive way. I, yeah. And it's hard for everybody. I, I think sometimes the, uh, the organization is trying uh, and they have workers who are good workers and nice people, but they're toned out. But those, these are really kind of difficult uh, things and it feels like everybody on the ground has to play a part in developing more sensitivity and finding ways to have the conversations That's so right. that they can um, they can learn. Well, not everybody who goes through the co-op program or is uh, joining a, a, another big program. Not everybody has the kind of sensitivity and somebody like you they can go to. So I'm always interested in, in what can we tell our listeners who might find themselves in a situation where they're feeling microaggression, they're not feeling included, they're feeling like outsiders. And one of the things that I really like that I saw uh, co-op is doing is they are, I like your um, your head and, and, and the heart, the three elements. But one one thing I really liked is that they are encouraging people to to sort of network together. And it's not networking like getting to know the important people at the top. It sounds like the program is helping uh, participants 
build relationships with their peers and develop an understanding how that can make a huge difference in any group, including figuring out the things that you're tough. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the peer relationship sensitivity that seems to be part of the program? Yeah. So the peers are encouraged, each cohort is encouraged to be there for one another, uh, to be a support system for each other as they go through the program, but also as they leave the program and become alumni to the program. One thing I've noticed about co-op is it truly is a family feel. Uh, individuals who are part of the program, because they're seated that message of being one with one another, when they graduate the program and become alumni working across other companies and agencies, even those within the companies and the agencies are together with one another, supporting each other, and likewise, reaching out to others across the board. Um, it's, it's a crucial component because, as you said, Bev, not every company has someone that they can go to to speak about some of their grievances. So having that support system is important to be able to bounce ideas off of on how to, like you said, respond in a more positive way with situations that they go through. One of the things that uh, I've noticed works a lot and with a lot of um, recent grads or grads from years and years ago, when they're feeling kind of lost, um, a good thing to do is do some research on LinkedIn and find some alumni from wherever you went to college. Um, connecting with uh, your old friends or people you don't know, but that you can spot on LinkedIn or some other way as, as maybe graduating from the same program or something like that. That seems to be a, um, a terrific way to kind of have a tribe that you can go to to talk about things. So I, I notice in Washington, first, there are people coming from everywhere for all kinds of internships and first jobs. And it's a pretty common thing to encourage those folks to stay connected with their fellow alums because it gives them um, you know, some peeps they can talk about everything with. But also, if you look at the colleges here, I know Howard is, I've had a, a bunch of friends from Howard. They are so terrific at encouraging support for fellow alums, aren't they? They are. Howard University similarly is a family field. Once you're part of Howard University, you are always a part of Howard University. And so you mentioned going on LinkedIn. There are so many groups or so many people that have graduated. And once you find that person, um, I've definitely been in meetings where someone may have mentioned that they graduated from Howard University. It then you know, brings on this feeling of excitement. And then you say, oh, I too graduated. And it's almost like this camaraderie. And I guess that exists for any alumni or any university that you go through. But there is a pride that goes along with being part of Howard University. So yeah, I experienced it also, Bev. <laughs> it, there's pride, but there's also a sense of, um, oh, that it's okay to be vulnerable. So um WOUB, who's our producer here, of course, is associated with Ohio University, and uh, I did undergraduate work there. And I um, know in in Washington, there's so many people. It feels like from Ohio University, and but there's sometimes the the young people are sometimes kind of intimidated to be here, and so by connecting with each other, they can kind of 
explained when they're nervous about being in a different kind of place. So it's, it's, it can be um, um, supportive, even if um, you, what you want is to, you know, just have a place to express your anxiety. So I really encourage people to do that, but I want to change gear. I just noticed, Oh, we're getting low on time. I want to touch on (laughs) another part of the, the co-op program, the um, uh, peer relationships matter and um, heart matters, but a robust learning um, component, a head matter, I guess, is is really one of the things that can set some of these careers on fire. There's a very robust digital learning program, right? Would you? What are the kinds of things that you've identified as being really good? skill sets for people who are looking to have more upwardly mobile jobs? Yeah. So the program focuses on digital, um, on jobs within digital, as well as data analytics. Data analytics and digital are the future of most organizations within advertising and the tech industry. And so those are key components but basic things that you're going to need to get into the job, the very basic things to learn, things like Microsoft Office, like Excel, that's used a lot. That's critical for individuals to come out of even getting those intense technical skills, learning those things. Because at every organization, they're going to train you over on what digital or what data analytics looks like for their organization and that best suits the needs of their clients and their teams. But you're going to need to know those basic, um, th- those basic tools that you're going to be using from day one every single day while you're there. So that's what I would say to if you're going through a program that is teaching you the core technical skills of particular subject matter, make sure that you're learning more of the basic skills on your own that may not be a huge part of the component of the program. A lot of those are uh, things that you can learn through online programs that are pretty accessible now. A lot of um, people have, a lot of uh, companies have uh, programs like Google for people that are free because they're about their uh, software, their their tools. So I, I think if you're trying to, um, you know, sort of struggling to figure out what to do next in the career, Learning some of those basic digital and business skills is is possible to do inexpensively on your own, online, and it can set you apart from the crowd, right? Yes. And one thing I'd also like to offer here, Bev, is if there's an industry that you're interested in working in or a job, a company that you're interested in, do your research, not just particularly for that particular company, but also industry news. So find out what a trade publication is, go online, do the research, read not just about the company, but what's happening across so that you can be more knowledgeable about their competitors. So that as you're working in the industry or just getting through an interview, you're able to speak more knowledgeably and show that you're more interested, not just in getting a job, but pursuing a career. That is great advice. And I I think we are about out of time, but that's wonderful advice to to end on. If people are looking to have more rewarding and um, I think uh, 
rewarding both in terms of money and in activities and in opportunities for the future. If they're looking for more rewarding jobs, it is it makes a lot of sense to research the field, research your joining field, find out uh, how a company or a potential employer or a field you want to go into, find out how it fits in the news. There's so much information now that will allow you to be fluent when you're talking about these things and spot opportunities you can set yourself apart. So I really appreciate that. Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today. You're uh, working on some important issues and it's, it was great to hear about what you're doing. Thank you so much, Bev. It's been my pleasure. Today we've been talking with Lakeisha Paul about ways to help underemployed college grads to supercharge their careers. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that if you're not getting anywhere in your career, maybe it's time to build new skills. Look around. Notice technologies that are in demand and explore some of the new kinds of courses that will help you develop expertise. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating.